Wait, I'm I'm happy if I have a pair of headphones that last me 15 days. You know, the rate I wish I go through headphones is fucking ridiculous. Just keep fucking eating them, you the, fucking vandal. There is that. There is that. Hello and welcome to the Omcast. My name is Dom. As one half of the Omcast, I'm joined by Tom. Say hello, Tom. So we now live in a world full of sequels, prequels, remakes and reboots, and we understand that sometimes life gets in the way and you're not always going to be able to catch up before a new one comes out. With that in mind, we're here to discuss our thoughts on the highs and lows of some of the biggest franchises in cinema history, before we find out if the new one is worth seeing. This week, we continue our epic rewatch of the Star Wars franchise with the original Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Yay! Yay! Star Wars! It's the originals! It's the what it's all about. This is where it all started. It's where it started and it's where it finished for me for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes. 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 Do it. Do it. Let the hate flow through you. Use your aggressive feelings, boy. Um, Hold on. Don't, don't get ahead of yourself. We're not getting ahead of ourselves. Um, this is the last thing I have to watch. Right. So, yeah, this is the original... Star Wars trilogy and like I mean what can we where do you even start with these because it's just these films are everything man. <laughs> They're yeah. just everything. so I think the main thing that we should really focus on here is is to try and separate ourselves a little bit from yeah. the fact that these are three of probably our favourite films ever yeah. in history they're so the they're so formative yeah. to both yours and mine in anything that's to formed our lives mm. really yeah yeah I've said it before and like we talked about it a couple of weeks ago it's like when I saw that I went to see these in the cinema when they were re-released in '97 so I was six years old and yeah it literally sparked everything for me my love of film and everything that I'm into to this day came from that. And mm-hmm. so I will always have that emotional connection to particularly the first one, particularly New Hope. Yeah. But what you've got to try and do is step back from that and talk about it as a film. But uh, just watching it again, thinking about that, because obviously this week we rewatched them. And you do try and sort of step back from it if you can. And it is still amazing. <laughs> they are just amazingly well-made films. And, just, and it's like, I think you put it perfectly last week when you said it, what was it, a, a cacophony of genius? Yeah, well, it's it's this... It's this weird... collective fuck-up. Yeah. It's the greatest mistake in yeah. cinema history. Like, so much of this went wrong... But yeah, so, so much of this didn't work. So much of this was adjusted in post. So much of this, it took the original concept that George Lucas put out and mm. intended to make was Anakin's Star Killer and the Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, something, something, and the Guardians of the Wills. Yeah. And it was this really convoluted, really bizarre situation, yeah. really. Well, it's the prequels, and it's just nonsense and yeah. and spacesuits. Whereas what we got, because of budget, because of weather, because of acting problems, because of arguments with the cast, because of fucking mutiny, because of all these amazing millions of different things that happened. We got this particular film. We got film. this yeah. film. Yeah. And then after this, 
George Lucas walked away from films. Yeah. And said, I'll never direct a film again. Yeah. And then everybody else came on board for Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And... The rest yeah, is history. And the rest is history. And then yeah. George came back with the prequels, which we spoke about before. But we're now... And it's this really unique situation because it's this cultural phenom. Yeah. And it's, called, it's in a weird way it's come full circle because it was done like you sort of look into what was, you know, the way George approached making the movies and all the rest of it, particularly when it came to the sequels. He was always like railing against the system and he hated the, the studios and didn't want them getting involved and he mm. wanted like creative control and all the rest of it because he was worried about corporate people sticking their noses in and changing things and all the rest of it. And now here we are, you know, 40 years later and that's exactly what Star Wars has become now. It is a corporate enterprise. It yeah. is a thing where there are lots of people who yeah. have a corporate interest in it. And it's not to say that one, we've seen both, Not that there's not, to say that either one way is good or not, because I think what's great no. about with the we saw in the prequels what happens when you when there's one man who alters it, yeah, and has absolute creative control and everything. Thing, it doesn't like, necessarily mean it's good. Whereas the original, this original Star Wars, it's people like George Lucas, Ben Burt, John Williams, all the people who were involved in the background, exactly. And it's because of that collaborative element and like if any one of those things didn't work the whole thing would have fallen apart yeah there's so many th- elements particularly in the first movie where it's like well if you didn't get at guinness or if you didn't have john williams to do the score like so many things are lifted because of the score or you know the the model makers and ilm and all the work those guys did if that didn't work the whole film would have fallen apart if yeah if you hadn't had harrison ford the whole thing would have fallen apart any at any point it all could have just crumbled in on itself and it would yeah. have ended up looking silly, but yeah, it didn't. And here we are like 40 years later still yeah. talking about it. It's this look. Yeah. It's this bizarre conclusion of things that none of these pieces should have fit together. No. How, how it ended up with the money that it did for pro- promotion, mm. how it ended up with the money to get it finished. Yeah. Because for th- three, four, five, six times, the studio said, that's enough. That's it. You're done. Yeah. And everyone was like, and no like, one believed in it before it came out. Everyone was like, it's just, even the people making it on set, yeah. there was like an element of like, well, this is just, this is silly. It's not going to actually look any yeah. good. <clears throat> well, there's the infamous line from Harrison Ford, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You can write this shit, but you can't say it. Mm. But like, but you still had people like, I think, I think it's, it's little things like that. Like, so you had all this, this young cast who were mostly untested. So even that, he had to fight for that. Because he wanted new people, like people like Mark Hamill, to be the lead of it, rather yeah. than have someone established. Yeah. Um, but then you also had, you know, your Alec Guinness and your Peter Cushing's, who were the guys who like came in and were like just professional, yeah, and just like no, and they gave so much gravitas to it. And I love like like both of them are amazing. But I think watching it again now as well, having seen the other version of Tarkin that we got in Rogue One, like I remember how bloody good Peter Cushing is. Peter Cushing's Peter amazing. Peter Cushing's so good in this film. And I feel like because he only had one film mm. and like he's not, obviously Obi-Wan's a much bigger character, but Peter Cushing as Tarkin is just one film, one done. Yeah. But he's so good. And it's like his enunciation of everything. And he rolls every R and he just revels in it. It's and that's just, the thing, because he was the big evil at yeah. that point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Vader was just this thing. Vader was yeah. Vader was was the attack dog. Yeah, and it was 
was, jeez, oh, I mean, like, how far do we go with this? I mean, the, like, Peter Cushing at, is incredible, but then yeah. when we you you immediately start talking about Darth Vader, yeah, arguably one of the most iconic figures in film history, yeah. But like, is that his entrance? And like, so much of it, like, when you hear that, that John Williams score coming in underneath it, mm-hmm. really sells it, yeah. And it's like, it's every little element. I was like, right, to have that, you have the guys in in the um. Stormtrooper outfits either side of him. You have the smoke. You have the set. You have everything that has to be perfect, and it was. It's just, it's just yeah. spot on. It's just this um, cavalcade of things that shouldn't have worked, but yeah. everything fell into place. Yeah, um, and obviously, you know, everyone talks about the, the opening shot and the way it, it starts with that big punch of score from John Williams and the words "Star Wars" just filling up the whole screen. Mm-hmm. And then you get that really epic shot of the two ships flying over the top of the screen. Yeah. And that was when just like, if you're, you're in from that point on. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think that must be one of the best openings of any movie ever. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's... it's just not even... Well, put it this way. Like, when I was talking to my parents about this recently, and because obviously Star Wars is coming out, and whilst my dad was there and went to see Star Wars when it first came out and is very proud of that. Like, my mum is a massive, massive, massive fan. And um, what really stood out was she was saying it just... She wasn't interested in it. When she was like, I don't want to go. And my dad was like, come on, like, we're all going to see it. And she was like, I'm not interested. I don't like space films. I don't like science fiction. I don't like this. And she was saying from that first moment, she was sold. Yeah. Because that's the thing, it's not science fiction. Like, everyone calls it that that science movie or that. But it's not science, it's fantasy. And that's, like, mm-hmm. that hadn't been done before. No one had done the combined those two ideas, the idea of, like... Yeah, I mean, high, you know. yeah, it's it's the weird, like you say, the, there was the Flash Gordons, yeah. which is, you know, the, the rumour... Yeah. Or the the scene behind the scenes so much is that George Lucas made this in reaction to being turned down for making Flash Gordon. Yeah, but the way that it escalated mm. and the way that it took that concept and grew it, yeah, exponentially into an entire world. Because yeah, like, sci fi was always shiny and mm. always, um, you know, fairly close, and it was all rockets and this, that, and the other. It wasn't space planes and laser swords and yeah exactly and it was it's that common like i said it's that combination of this the sciencey sort of space elements of it where it is spaceships and blowing stuff up but then yeah. it's also combining that in with all the mytho- mythological elements of it all yeah and obviously he talks about in the writing of it a lot of it came from the um i think it's joseph campbell's book mm. which is the hero with a thousand faces and it talks about how across all different cultures you have these certain archetypes and myths yeah. that are told throughout everywhere you go no matter what and it's the same in feudal japan they have myths and legends and then they have the same thing going on in you know in europe and all the rest of it and it's like well why is it that we just gravitate towards these certain things mm-hmm. and george like studied that kind of you know philosophy behind it all and that's where he came up with these set of characters which are yeah archetypal you know you have the the wise old sage who's obi-wan you have the callow youth who's luke who's looking off to the distance wanting to and it's like that shot of luke looking off to the twin sons yeah exactly it's it's shots like that where there's no dialogue and it's just any just it's a powerful image and a powerful bit of Mm -hmm. music from williams and a really good performance from hamill as well 
that just sells the whole thing. And if yeah. any one of those things didn't work, if they had the wrong actor or whatever, it would all just be forgotten about. Yeah. Uh, it's... I don't know. Like, well, It's tough to say because for anyone that's... Any of our readers, that's your chances are you've seen Star Wars. Yeah. But that's and the thing. Like, we're not going to bring anything... In this episode, we're not really going to bring anything new... You can't because say, there's yeah. so it's one of the most widely written and studied films, yeah, like film sagas. There are there are going to be other podcasts out there that are far more like researched and mm. far more in depth and break things down so much more. But I think just talking about the film spiritually and about how it's had this wide effect, yeah, because these are things that people might not know, and we're you know hopefully yeah. we're sort of opening you your mind up on this slightly because a lot of people will watch Star Wars and go, oh, it's just Star Wars. Yeah. Because everybody knows it. Yeah. But there's a reason everybody knows it. Like there are so many like universal things embedded into it. Yeah. But at the same time, he has a way of making it something you've never, something you're very familiar with, but also something you've never seen before at the same time. And it's amazing how they manages to interplay those two things. Yeah. Like it has, you know, like again, coming back to the way the archetypes are all there. Like Leia is the archetype of the damsel in distress, but because it's 1977, Carrie Fisher is a gobshite <laughs> and gives it and gives him a load of yeah. like and give bites back at Han and Luke when they come and rescue her and yeah. just give them a load of shit. And it's like right, well that's new. You've never seen that before. You've never seen like in a in a you know you know. Knights of the Round Table or whatever, Guinevere having a go at Lancelot because yeah. he's being a dick. Like, no, that's never happened before. No. But that could only happen now. And the same with, like, like Chewie is a great example of it, where, like, you see when Chewie gets scared at one point, <laughs> he just, like, he runs off to one corner and is, like, shaking his head because he doesn't like it. Yeah. Because there's something over there. And it's like, well, yeah, we've, we've seen a big monster sort of thing before, but we've never seen yeah. this sort of sympathetic, lovable giant. This is, like, this is new. This is different. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, very familiar and very sort of safe in its, yeah. and it's like I say, but you it's look universal. at the execution, like you're saying about the archetypes, and then you look at what happens to Obi Wan. Mm. Yeah, and Obi Wan's defeat or death or passing on or yeah. however you want or however you want to call it, sacrifice. These are things that you were expecting yeah. to happen. You would expect to happen in an archetype, but you were still surprised when you saw it. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, and it like and it's got that that air of mystery in that air like we talked about it before where like it's something that's lost a little bit now in that because everything's over explained but there was a lot of um yeah like a mystery behind everything so like with Obi Wan it's a good example of it where he's if you strike me down I become more powerful than you can possibly imagine yeah and he disappears as you hit him it's like okay well, I need to know more about that <laughs> what does yeah. that mean and it's just like whoa they just blows everything out of the water and you just change everything you think about. Um, and the same with like the way that the film opens, obviously, because the whole idea of this is that he's taking his his cues from the you know the Flash Gordons and the the serials. Yeah. So the idea is that you start and you're in the middle of the story. You don't start like in the in the natural beginning place. So like, yeah. and then when retroactively this changed and what was originally Star Wars became Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Yeah. So he started with part four. Because yeah. the idea was that you were right in the middle of it. 
And now, having watched, having sort of had the gaps filled in, we now know that it's basically carrying on immediately from the end of Rogue One. Yeah. And they're just, they're mid-chase. And the chase continues. But obviously, there wasn't a thing back then. Back no. then, it was just... and But, like, they're able to convey everything they need to in that one shot, where you see the tiny little... The, the rebel ship flying across. And then the... <laughs> the the Star Destroyer turns up and just keeps going and going and going and going and that is just such a powerful image but it tells you everything about well the plucky rebel alliance and the evil empire yeah who've got much more power and and that's it yeah but you don't need to have that like explained to you or like you no. could just you can tell from the imagery yeah you're going to be like, able to pick it up yeah. as you go yeah and then immediately the characters are on the back foot yeah. because you're looking at this diverse cast of like well, I'd say diverse cast, diverse for the 70s, yeah. which is just white people of different ages, yeah. <laughs> like first appear and you're like, oh, hey, the, the, that guy's way older than that guy and that guy's yeah. way younger than that guy and this guy's this age and all the rebels are like mixed age, but all the bad guys... Don't have faces. Don't have faces. So none of the stormtroopers have faces. Darth Vader doesn't have a face. Yeah. and then But the officers do. Yeah. But the officers are very, very Nazi-esque. Yeah in the way that they're dressed. And so there are these amazing lead throughs yeah. as well. Um, but to go back slightly to what you were saying, like previously, the way that the films before this, the way that films were made, they had the full credits at the start of the film. Yeah. Because that's how the unions wanted it. Mm. Because they wanted everybody who was involved to be seen before the film started, because otherwise people wouldn't hang around. But George didn't do that. No. George, Put you into the action immediately. Yeah. You were engrossed from that first second. Yeah. And that's changed cinema now. That's not how... They're all at the end now. Yeah, pretty much. But, I mean, that that became a massive sticking point, though. And that's, like, leads into when you get into the sequels. Like, the reason George didn't direct the next two, or part of the reason, Mm. was that he had this big falling out with the unions and the, you know, the, the guild, the writers' guild, the directors' guild, all those things... He fell out with them massively over that decision. So when he came to do it again in Empire Strikes Back, they fined him, and he was like, he had a big penalty on him because he didn't put any of the credits at the front. Mm. He said, "No, that's not how my films start. We do it like this, and then we put the credits at the end." And he said so he fell out with all of them, and there it was a nightmare, and it meant that like another reason why he sort of turned his back on the whole system. Yeah. Um, but then it also like had implications going forward. So I think he wanted Steven Spielberg to direct Return of the Jedi. Yeah. But because Steven was part of the union, he wasn't able to then come and do it. Yeah. And it became this whole issue. And it's like, this, there's so many things that he... I'll say this for a minute. Like, his artistic integrity is there in terms of he goes, no. Oh, absolutely. Like, 100%. He goes, no, this is how these movies start. And it's important that they start this way. Yeah. And I'll pay the price for that, literally. Yeah. Like, fucking, yeah, fair play. And that's the thing. Like, George's integrity has never been called into question. No. Like, his vision, for sure. Yeah. But his integrity, never more so. No. One of the reasons that George dragged his feet so long on the sale of LucasArts, Lucasfilm, Skywalker yeah. Ranch, all of the... Every property that he had tied up around in and around Star Wars, the reason it took so long for that to go through was because he refused to budge on people losing their jobs. Yeah. Because companies were like, well, yeah, the naturally some jobs are going to go. And he was like, nope, no. you can't have it. If any single one person loses their job, that's not, that's not how it's going to work. Yeah. 
but that's the thing. So this is why like people will sort of lay into George and say about this and the other. It's like, no, you've got to respect the man's integrity. Like his vision might be a bit guff, but the way that he stuck to his guns and the way that he really went for this has got to be admired. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, getting into the films themselves, obviously the, the, the first film is picking up from what we now know and has been subsequently been filled in as the prequels and Rogue One and all yeah. that sort of stuff. And it's basically, it's the Rebel Alliance against the Empire. You've got Princess Leia and Luke, um, Obi-Wan, but the sort of the central characters that you follow throughout the whole thing is R2 and 3PO. Yeah. And they're another element where like, if they didn't work, if you weren't bought into them being real things that yeah. you could sort of, or that you had to, any sort of empathy for, then it wouldn't work. And yeah, and that's one of the miracles of the Star Wars yeah. franchise is that you know, uh, R2-D2 yeah. is a well-loved and liked character. Yeah, and that is, I think that that is entirely, well, it's down to a combination of things. First of all, the design of the character and how he looks. Kenny Baker doing his work in, in the actual mm-hmm. suit itself and making it come to life and Ben Burt finding his voice. And again, like there are so many specific things in terms of the way they built, like the first movie is perfect for it in terms of world building. Mm-hmm. Like everything has a specific sound and like R2 is a perfect one. It's a voice. It feels like a voice. Yeah. It's the way he talks and he talk and he has a back and forth with 3PO who's speaking English and you completely buy into that. Yeah. And that's down to everyone is down to Anthony Daniels and it's down to Kenny Baker and everybody doing their thing. Um, but yeah, because you get to the point after the initial sort of flurry of action, there's a good like 10, 15 minutes where you're just following the droids Yeah, on Tatooine and there's no humans involved. No. And it's like, that is a gamble. That is a big gamble. And it completely works. And yeah. it's like... You, and you're bought in. Yeah. You're well, already sold by this fucking garbage can. Like when he's like, there's the bit where he's, he's just trundling down the canyon. Yeah, and you can see there's something looking at him. It's the Jawas are about to come and take him, but and you're worried. You're like, oh, I hope nothing bad happens. Well, and it's like the sounds that he's making. Like yeah. he audibly oh. sounds worried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, like I say, it's, it's amazing. It's the fact that right because we're on board with this, like, we haven't even met who is meant to be the main protagonist of the whole thing. Really, which is Luke. Yeah, we have we don't meet him until like 20 minutes in. Yeah, but like you have to be that bought into the droids. Um, and again, like. I love the way they build the world of like Tatooine. They spend enough time there to make you understand yeah. that it's, it's a real living world with that. And it's dangerous. Yeah. And that's the one of uh, that's the whole, the whole thing for star Wars for me is that it's an, an ex- it, sorry, I'm getting really excited. <laughs> is that star Wars is a living universe. Yeah. So it's, like, it's, it's not the used universe thing. It's not the way that, it looks or it feels is it's the fact that it fit it is alive yeah which is what so much of the prequel trilogies got wrong yeah because nothing is alive no it's all yeah it's all, it's just, all just done in a computer nothing yeah. there's nothing that looks a bit wonky yeah which happens in this not because it's a huge universe but just because it was just a bit wonky you go outside a lot of things are wonky like railings might have a dent on it they might see a bit of graffiti you might see something that's got a scuff on it yeah it's real it's alive i know and it's those little touches they put in that make all the difference so like again thinking about that early scene where it's 3po and r2 on tatooine like there's the bit where 
3PO is just cresting a stand dune and you see this skeleton of a creature yeah. like draped over the thing. Now, if it was the prequels, he would have put a living creature in there made out of CGI and it would have like come out of the sand and then disappeared back into the sand or whatever. Yeah. But with this, it's like, no, we didn't have the budget for that and we didn't have the technology to do that. So instead, we're just going to make this skeleton thing and lay it in the background and then you start and you go, well, what's the deal with that? Yeah. What is that the skeleton of? What like and how did it die? Yeah, what did it like? I need to know. But again, it makes it feel like a real lived-in universe mm. just by having a one little bit of set decoration. Yeah, is all that is. But it make by put making the effort to make that and put it in the background of the shot just adds so much more mm-hmm. to it. It just yeah. And you start you see everything as you go throughout when you get into the canteen, and we're not gonna obviously go Blow too far way. into yeah. this, but. When you get into the cantina and you see that it's like the the classic sounds start playing and yeah. what happens in there happens in there and Greedo the shooting first and not shooting first sort of situation. Yeah. Like again, there's a million things that are gonna tell you that are gonna talk to you about this, but the way that it feels like when when Luke walks into that bar yeah. and is a bit like doesn't really know what to do. He's just a kid. He's just walked into a bar. Yeah. And like people are like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, don't you know who I am? Yeah. Sort of thing. And he's like, oh, sorry. He's just a kid. Yeah. And it's completely relatable. That's the thing. You they just buy into it straight away. And that's the thing that, again, is missing from the prequels and stuff. It's, it's the relatable protagonist. It's the thing like. Yeah. You completely get on board with Luke immediately. Like he's just, he's there and he just turns up and it's like his aunt and his uncle are asking him to do stuff. He's got chores and stuff to do before he has to. Get, he wants to go out and do his own thing, but he can't. Yeah. And then he has the whole conversation with his uncle about how he wants to leave and go to the, go to the academy and all the rest of it. And he's trying to justify himself. And he's like, you can tell that this isn't just a conversation that's come out of nowhere. There's context behind this. You've had these conversations before. Yeah. And he keeps saying, one more season, one more year, and then you can go. And you see, you feel that frustration, and that, and that is such a universally known thing that, yeah. like, you wanting to leave home and all the rest of it. And again, that carries it all the way through the movie. So, like, when he gets into the cantina, again, like, he's this stepping out into the world, wide-eyed, what, what the hell, youth sort of thing. Yeah. But and everyone's got that. Everyone can latch onto that easily. Yeah. Um, and it's all new to him. So, yeah, coming into the cantina, he's, like, seeing all these weird aliens for the first time, and it's the first time he's seen anything that isn't a human. It's the first time we haven't seen anything that isn't a yeah. human. Because suddenly... But everyone else is just so relaxed. Yeah. Nobody else is looking around, like, strangely. We're yeah. the ones that are like, this is weird. Yeah. But then so in like, that bar, yeah. Luke is the one that's a bit weird. Yeah. Because he just walks in, because he's yeah. seen aliens, he's seen Jowers, he's seen droids. Yeah. He just like he's like we were saying, like he's just this kid that just gets in and just walks up to the bar and he's like, Can yeah. I have one of them? Yeah. And the guy's like, Okay. Yeah. And then all the other stuff kicks off, but but yeah, when you're saying about like the relatability of it yeah. as well, is that it this is that point where there's a transition when you see it from you're like, Okay, now we now we've got this guy. Mm. You know, we're like harness here now. Yeah. And Chewbacca, and Chewbacca's this fucking six foot seven yeah. dog that's bipedal and flies the ship and doesn't speak English, just communicates by growling. But yeah. this guy gets it. Yeah. As I think Han is like a perfect addition to the whole thing because between Luke and um, Obi-Wan, there's, there would have been a... 
I think there would have been a uh, and and Leia as well because obviously we would have spent quite a lot of time with Leia by that point. It would have been like everyone's taking it a little bit too seriously. Yeah, and they're already like sort of pious and just like oh, you must learn the ways of the Force and so we must deliver this to all. And everyone's really earnest mm. and just to have Han come in and go. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? Han's like the street level guy. The st- like world weary. Yeah, all right. It's going to cost uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm sure your mission is very important. Yeah. How much are you going to pay me? Yeah. And it just, but like that is just a stroke of genius to have, again, that archetype, that to have him thrown into the mix. Yeah. And because that, that he's like the cavalier character. Yeah. He's the knight that would rescue the princess and marry the princess. Yeah. He's the rogue. He's yeah. the thief. He's the this. He's the that. But he completely buckends it. Yeah. Like, completely bucks it and upends everything. And you go, again, I don't know where this guy's going. Yeah. And then you see the Falcon. And you're like, and he's like, what a piece of junk. And you're like, is it? Yeah. I guess so. And he's like, well, I make 0.5 past light speed, kid. And you're like, okay. I don't know what any of this means. No. Like, none of this makes sense. And then <clears throat> you get in and it just flies off into space. Yeah. Like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because, but like 10 years earlier was the first time humans had gone to the moon and like there were things about space and stuff. And, but this has just made it so casual. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, they can just, they can just fuck off into space yeah. anytime they want. And little things just like um, 3PO, God, I forgot how much I hate space travel. Yeah, and little line, little throwaway lines like that, and it's like in it's all the stuff that's in the language and like the things that they talk about. Like they talk, they don't talk about planets; they talk about systems. Yeah, and stuff, little nods like that that let you know that this is a universe where this is just normal. This is what we do. Yeah, and we go from this place to this place, and it's gone. To, we, I can get you there, but it will take you. It's like literally hiring Han to take you from one planet to another planet is like getting an Uber. And yeah. it's just like the fact that again, like. Watching that, we've never seen that. Like even in stuff like Star Trek had obviously been around before Star Wars, but space travel was like an endeavor. It was mm-hmm. a thing that you had to go out and do, and it was like it was a voyage and all those. It, it was enterprising adventure, exactly. Whereas this is just like path the course. This is yeah. just like take you like grabbing a lift. Han's a trucker, yeah, essentially. Yeah, he's a space trucker. Yeah, like he drives a freighter. Yeah, and then and then you see stuff like this then like and it will influence things like so it was what 79 when alien came out yeah space truckers again lived in universe i'm not saying they they owe but it's it's around that time when sci-fi got real yeah if you know what i mean that's yeah, when yeah, sci-fi yeah. became like a, a real lived in thing and it was a combination of star wars and then alien came mm-hmm. out at the same sort of time um but yeah and i love like they do a really great job of setting up the conflict between the empire and the rebellion yeah and they make it grounded and personal like i love there's the a group one of there's a lot of really great transitions throughout the movie but one of my favorites is when luke goes home and sees aunt owen and uncle, um, aunt owen uncle owen, aunt uncle owen and aunt brute which that traumatized me as a kid yeah yeah that was saying, really yeah. fucking dark man <laughs> well they burn them to it like there's just like skeletons it's really fucking harrowing oh, yeah um, and yeah, so he comes home and he finds this. Everyone's dead, and they're just they're these two like rotting corpse skeletons. And it's just like fuck me, that's a bit intense for a kids' film, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but then it immediately then cuts to a shot of two Tie Fighters flying towards the Death Star, and then you have the scene where um, Vader's coming in to torture Princess Leia. Yeah. And it's like those that one-two hit of those two scenes back to back 
It's like, this is what we're fighting against. Yeah. This is the evil. And we see it on the ground level. They have just burnt your home to the ground and killed your aunt and uncle, who were characters who we got to meet earlier. Yeah. And on a on a bigger level, yeah, there's this young princess girl and he's going to torture her and there's a needle. Everyone's scared of needles. Yeah. And it's like, fuck, fucking empire. Right, now... But it's like the sound effect from the, yeah. the torture droid as well. And, oh, yeah. Or the medical droid. Or, um, but, but also... <laughs> One thing I would say that does sort of, again, we're talking about sort of upending things, is there's the scene uh, slightly later than that when you see, um, when they're talking about the tracks and stuff, and you see 3PO in the background just casually throwing the corpse of a Jawa onto yeah. a burning pile of yeah. other corpses. Oh, yeah, the Jawa is like, like, they don't give a shit about the Jawa. That golden cunt is savage. Yeah. Like, he's like, <laughs> you know what those fuckers tried to do to me? Fucking burn. They were alive, man. Yeah. They were alive until he fucking turned up yeah. again. The Jawas, yeah, they, they don't treat creatures particularly. Same with the sand people. Sand people are just monsters. Yeah. Like they need to, I would love to know what the origins of the sand people are, but we never, we're never going to see it. But the sand no. people, again, they're just like, that's what I like about, again, talking about how it's in, in a dangerous world or whatever. It's like he goes out and he's like, well, to Luke, Jawas wouldn't be a threat, would they? Um but yeah, just like from a world building point of view and like in the exposition dump that you get with Obi-Wan and he explains all this stuff, but it doesn't slow the film down. No. It gives you just the amount of information that you need to be able to then continue on. Yeah. And they don't really get into the force too much in Star Wars. No. In the Empire, that's when you get into the yeah. force and that's where it's Yoda. Yeah. Which is another like single point of failure for the entire series is Yoda. If Yoda didn't work... The whole thing falls apart. Yeah. If like the model doesn't look right or whatever, but again, I think it's down to Frank Oz and the model and the and the puppeteers and the model man and everything that went into it. But again, imagine if like we'll get back to a, a new hope in a minute, but imagine if what they had planned happened. Because what was originally gonna be Yoda was a monkey yeah. in a costume. And a mask. Yeah. Exactly. It was still going to be voiced. It's still going to be dubbed by somebody. But it wasn't going to be a puppet. It was going to be an actual monkey. Yeah. <laughs> How the fuck that would have worked? No, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been a nightmare. But like, yeah. <laughs> but then, yeah, obviously, and then Frank came along yeah. and did the puppeteering and the voice and... Yeah, but... Oh, my God. It's amazing that these films got to it. It is. I mean, is there anything more to say? I mean, A New Hope is obviously a classic. One thing I, you, we can't not mention, like, obviously what happens on the Death Star happens on the Death Star, but we can't not mention the Death Star run and the, oh, the fight. that final battle. The final battle is phenomenal. And again, it's like, it's one of those, It you feel that it's the tension. Yeah. The way they're able to ratchet that up and it's just in the simple choices of being able to see the pilot's faces and putting the camera in the cockpit with them, yep. those kind of things. And then that's like melded in with like some amazing like shots and things they were able to accomplish just through using um, models. So like my, my, one of my favorite shots in all of Star Wars is the shot where you see, it's like from the point of view, like they put a, it's like they put a um, camera on the end of a um, X-Wing and it's going into the trench. Yeah. And it goes, it goes like, you can see it do a little dip up and over into the trench and then settle yeah. into the trench run. And it's like, and now you see like things like we saw in Rogue One, 
where it does feel well they've attached a GoPro to the side of a yeah to us. But they pioneered that in the very beginning when they didn't have any yeah. CGI, where they were building computers from scratch, yeah, just to get this shit done. It's like yeah, fucking fair play, love it. And that's the thing, but it's it's also again people will say about Star Wars and they're like, oh, it's a kids film. Like it's not. It transcends that. Yeah. It transcends children to adulthood, but it's not exclusively for adults because children can enjoy it. But it vice versa. Yeah. But at the same time, one of the most effective parts of the the Death Star fight is the is the loss of life. Yeah. Is is the is the fact that you're not just shooting down the bad guys, the faceless bad guys in the masks. But we're losing people as well. We're losing a lot of people. Yeah, Luke's lost his one of his best friends. Yeah, and that's one thing that I think is... So we haven't really talked about it yet, but there are two different versions of this movie. or Well, there are several different versions of this movie. But one of the things that George added in when he went back to the, the special editions is there was a scene between Luke and Biggs yeah. in the hangar, which wasn't in the original no. cut. And that is one of the additions that he made, which really does help. Yeah. Because there was a whole sequence like back on Tatooine with Biggs as well. And that all got cut, and that's still you can find them online somewhere. Yeah. Um, like, but they're like very crap sort of dailies. But they weren't unfinished. They were, they, yeah. they were unfinished, like you say, yeah, daily. But, but the idea, but he still has mentioned Biggs throughout the movie. It's like yeah. that's what you said when Biggs left. Oh, Biggs was right. I'm never going to get out of here. Yeah. And then you finally meet Biggs, and then that, like you say, it means it has that impact when Big. It's just yeah. Luke and Biggs are the only two in the canyon at the end. It's like it will be just like Beggars Canyon back home. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, Biggs, <laughs> you beautiful son of a bitch. Yeah, um, but like, yeah, that's one thing that I've, I wish he kept in or kept kept in more of that. Yeah, from from Biggs. Yeah, uh, because it does give you that more. It grounds it in the same way that the, the Uncle Owen and Aunt Brew ground it in a really good way. Because I thought if you hadn't had that, then I feel like the destruction of Alderaan wouldn't have been as impactful no. because you've seen it from the ground level and yeah. you just like then you, if you hadn't seen that and then expound that to an entire planet's worth of people yeah and the same with like you see like a thousand oysters oysters just cried out at once <laughs> and <were> suddenly silenced <laughs> um yeah and like they do really like the special effects of like when you see the he, like a, a rebel pilot gets hit and then you see the like cockpit start to blow up yeah. and then it cuts to the outside shot of of the ship blowing up yeah and you feel like yeah that guy just died yeah, it's not too. They f- they feel connected. It's not just like a guy saying a thing in a cockpit and then a, a model blowing up. No, they're connected. You can see the connective yeah. tissue, and they sell you on that. Fuck me, I love these films. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then it ends in the fairy tale way. Yeah, then Han comes in, swoops in, saves the day. Luke defeats the bad guy, blows up the space station, but Vader gets away. He'll get you next time. Ah, yeah. And then they have the big parade, and then it's Empire. Empire. So Empire is legitimately one of my favourite films in history. Yeah. And I mean that with no sense of anything anything outside of no, perfect I completely agree. here. I completely agree. And I... Watching it again, like... I don't think they're ever going to get anything that comes near it. No. For any any of these movies. What, the, any of the other Star Wars films? Yeah. Closer to... No, absolutely not. Like, much as they, they can still make amazing Star Wars films, and we've seen some over the last few years, they're still never going to come close to this. No. 
for so many reasons because the just the in terms of a sequel, I don't think I like it. in terms of, it just it took a left turn. It was so, it's so brave as a sequel uh-huh. if you think about it in the terms of like people going in with expectations of having seen Star Wars to do what he did. And that's not just George, it's, it's the Irving Kirshner, it's the it's Lawrence Kasdan, because at this yeah. point, George sort of opened up the floor. The, the last, the first one was very much an O'Toole thing. He wrote it, directed it, produced it, the, the whole thing. For the second one, he got, it was more collaborative. He had more people, so he had hired someone in to do the direction. Yeah, He got a screenwriter. Well, Fox got a lot more involved at this point as well. Yeah, yeah. Because this is their cash cow now. They're Absolutely, like, yeah. So they brought on like Larry Castan and yeah. they brought on and like George was obviously very much involved in that, but they were like, you are not going to be any way, shape or, or form involved as much as you were. Mm. And he said, okay. Yeah. So we got the best of George yeah. in Empire yeah. and we got the best of George in Jedi. Yeah. But what we also got was the studio being a bit more involved. Yeah. And a little bit more reining in, yeah. and a little bit less temper tantrums in the desert, and walking off set and quitting making films and shouting yeah. at Carrie Fisher and upsetting her and being quite abusive to her. And yeah, we didn't have that same level of problematic issues in Empire and Jedi. No, because again, it was like George. One thing George has always said, like, or has come across about George, is that he's not an actor's director. He doesn't know no. how to deal with actors. No, whereas. Kirshner and all the rest of them are and he gets characters and he gets like like this is the, the amazing story about the not to get too far ahead but the I love you I know yeah sequence which has become this really iconic thing is like Han's about to be turned to carbonite or whatever yeah. and Leia shouts I love you and he comes back with I know which is this really iconic line but the original script was I love you too and they were there all day long filming that and it didn't work, it wasn't working. And then the director, Kirshner, just said to um, Harrison Ford, look, just, just do what feels right. Yeah. And then he improv the I know. Yeah. And he went, that's it. Yeah. If George had been directing, he would have got coverage of Harrison saying, I love you too. And they would have moved on. Yeah. That would have been it. Yeah. And it's like, that's the things that you don't, that he, he's, he's great ideas, man. But little things like he's not a great character man necessarily. Yeah. Like it's little things like that about knowing what's right for the character and what's right for the scene that comes from having these new people involved. Yeah. And yeah, fuck me, Empire's so good. <laughs> and the thing about Empire for me is I don't know, it's the sense of we're in a familiar situation. Mm. But we're seeing so much more of the same, yeah, but better. Yeah. So there's more dread, you know, there's more, there's more fun in places. There's, there's a wider universe. Yeah. It's different. We're seeing different places. We're not just seeing sand planet, spaceship, jungle planet. Yeah. We're seeing like swamp planet. We're seeing city in the clouds. We're seeing what's going on with the empire. Like mm. the empire is still a threat just but, because they haven't got their biggest gun now. Yeah. That doesn't yeah. mean that they're gone. That's the thing with these, the first two, and then we'll talk about it when we get to Return of the Jedi, but I think in the first two in particular, it's the palpable threat and the active threat of the Empire. Yeah. So, the, you know, the Empire strikes back, and it's literally, the entire movie is a chase movie. Mm-hmm. They are on, like, Leia and Han throughout the whole movie, and they can't catch a break. They're constantly, they are nipping at their heels. And the other the great thing about it again, in that sort of lived-in universe, is that the whole plot 
of Empire, from particularly for Han and Leia's point of view anyway, is facilitated by the fact that they have a spaceship that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. They've got a broken spaceship yeah. because the hyperdrive's broken. If the hyperdrive was fixed, none of it would have happened. Nope. It, would just, it would have been a five-minute movie. They would have got away with the rest of the fleet. Everything would have been fine. Yep. But because you live in a world where your ship that you isn't a sleek bit of metal, it's an old junker that you've got to like, like tape back together again. Yeah. It facilitates all this movie and it adds all that tension and it adds all that sort of drama to the whole thing. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and it's the fact that they keep having to stop to fix it. Yeah. And they're like, right, well, we've got to stop here inside this asteroid, <laughs> inside a worm. And, but again, like, I love that scene where, yeah, they're inside the worm and, like, and Leia's just sat there but, and you can hear the Empire bombing them from above. Yeah. And it's just another one of those, like, like we talked about with um, Rogue One, with the Star Destroyer hanging above the city. It's just that oppressive boot on your neck yeah. that is just like beating down on you, literally. Yeah. And I love that's throughout the whole movie. Um, and that's great. And then meanwhile, that is intercut with the Luke and Yoda story, which really gets deep into the force and the philosophy of the force and how that all works. Yeah. And that's brilliant. And that's amazing. And again, I think this is by far Hamill's strongest performance. In the original trilogy. Yeah, I agree. I think he comes back, like Last Jedi, we might have to talk about, but in terms of the original trilogy... Yeah. The original think... trilogy, this is his best. Like, There are some great moments in Jedi, yeah. and there are some great moments in A New Hope, Yeah, but this is really where it all starts. I think, well, part of it is the fact that, like, I remember I'm watching some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's like, for months on end, I was the only person on the call sheet. Yeah. Because Frank Oz is there, but he's underneath the stage. Yeah. And we can't hear each other. Yeah. Or he's got like a little earpiece in so he can hear it like feeding lines. But he's just on this this soundstage. And apparently the Dagobah stage was the fucking nightmare to film on. Because they just had water and snakes and monsters yeah. and all the rest of it. And it's just him, R2-D2 and a puppet. Yeah. And that's it. But he completely sells it. He's yeah. so committed to this conversation that he's having that is like a life or death conversation with this puppet. That you completely buy it and yeah. you're completely sold. And yeah, he's it's fucking brilliant. And just Yoda's philosophy and the things that he says in that is forms the template of everything that Jedi are meant to be. Yeah, that then permeates both going forward and backwards throughout the storyline. So going backwards into the prequels, going forwards into the new movies. Yeah, it's all comes from Yoda and the stuff that he says. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you, it's seeded in a New Hope with fragments of what. Yeah, Obi Wan says, but when Yoda really brings it to life, yeah, and the fact that it's convincingly brought to life by a puppet, yeah, is astonishing. Yeah, is that when he has he has a full speech and you know we are luminous, luminous beings, not this crude matter. Yeah, you can feel the force between you and me. And again, it's expounding on something that Obi Wan's already said is that it binds the galaxy together. Yeah, but you really and then he go and there's the scene where he lifts the X wing. And again, between the score from John Williams and the performance of the puppet, you believe that A, he's straining to do it yeah. and having to concentrate to do it, which is crazy because he's a puppet. <laughs> and just just pure awe and just spectacle. It's just like, fuck. It's but it's the wonderment. And yeah. you're just like, oh, I can't, yeah. And I don't, I don't but, believe it. And you know what, Tom? That is why you fail. I don't fail. I still believe it. I love it. And I just, that's so, it's such a universal, that's what's great about the force and like the way they, they put it forward is that although it is in theory, a religious concept or a spiritual concept it's so 
universal. It can be applied to anything. It's just a case of if you believe in something, if you if you don't believe you can do something, then you're never going to do it. If you believe yeah. in yourself that you can do it, then you can do it. And it's yeah. it's really like positive reinforcement, good message yeah. for everybody of all walks of life. This you know, regardless of your background. Yeah, and it's just like the the way they're able to tap into that is why is things like that, which is why Star Wars has stayed the course and mm-hmm. is still relevant to this day because of that <clears throat> really simple but effective philosophy. You no, know, I, I completely agree. Like the do or do not, there is no try. Is Judge me by my size, do you? Yeah. Just everything, just so many things. Like, just like, what, just because I'm small, you think I can't do it? Yeah. But like... Add, you know, just because I'm young, you think I can't do it. Just because of this, you think I can't do it. Yeah. Just because of whatever. And it's just like... Try me, I'm going to prove you wrong. Exactly. And it's such a great... Oh, I fucking love it. Like, you've got to believe in yourself and you've got to face... You're, you've got... And this one especially, because it's like, you've got to believe in yourself. You've got to have your own back. Mm. But at the same time, like... You've got to face, like your fears you've got to face what's yeah. coming up and then it's also like the thing with this one as well is obviously it ends on such a downer and it's a, it's this is what happens when you don't if you qu- choose the quick and easy path yeah if you if you don't do the right thing yeah if you choose to like go off half cocked and fuck up yeah this is what will happen and like luke pays the ultimate price and like as a kid i can imagine just as like as a kid watching it off the back of star wars it's like shit <laughs> like I was in a very fortunate position of being able to just put the next one in straight away. Yeah. But for a lot of kids back then, it would have just been like, you just saw all your heroes fail uh-huh. and get their asses kicked. Luke had his hand cut off. You obviously had the big revelation, which yeah. we're going to talk about. Yeah, of course. Luke, I am your father. Yeah. is a massive thing. And no. twist. What? No, I am your father. No, I am your father. He never actually says, Luke, I am your father. That's a common misconception, that. It's like beam me up, Scotty. It's never actually said. Yeah. Um, but it, again, it's so pastiched in modern culture that you feel like everyone knows it. That you feel like everyone knows it. But I've had experiences where I've watched things for the first time. So I watched this original trilogy with a girlfriend of mine, and this was like 2009, yeah. 2010, and she didn't know. Yeah. And we got to the Empire Strikes, and she was like, <gasps> "What? Yeah." Really? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I do not know that. Just, is he? Re- is he really? Is he lying? No. Do you want to watch the next one? Yeah, I want to watch the next <laughs> one. I'm like, oh, finally. I was about, I'm a, just again, it amazed me that someone didn't know about it because, like you say, it's permeated the culture so much. Yeah, everyone knows that. Um, but and like, and like I was saying to you earlier, like, my girlfriend hasn't seen any Star Wars film. No. We're planning on watching them over the Christmas break. But at the same time, like I put my foot in it when I'm like, oh yeah, when uh, and like when you find out what Darth Vader's Luke's dad. And she was like, what? Like the bad guy. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, I'm like, surely you knew that. And she's like, no, I've never seen Star Wars. <laughs> but like, she was like, that's like finding out that Voldemort is Harry's dad. Yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. Oh, fuck. I mean, yeah, actually, you know, that's a Isn't lot it? bigger than you think. Like, when you see it as a kid and you go, <gasps> and then you see some more lightsaber fighting, yeah, is different to, 
like having the emotional impact. When you realise as an adult, you realise what the all the implications of that, and you just start start thinking about it and go, oh shit, hang on, and then yeah, you start piecing it together. Yeah. And I can't imagine like the weight between movies must have been fucking excruciating for people. The closest I can think of is what happened with Infinity War. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, there's a little bit in terms of if think about it in terms of Star Wars. I guess you had the end of Force Awakens. That was a cliffhanger, like a literal cliffhanger. We waited the whole movie for Luke to turn up. Yeah, but it's still not the same as this because it's not just it's not just on the Luke and Darth Vader front. It's also on the Han Solo front. Yeah, because you've grown to love Han even more in this movie. Yeah, and then to have him sort of taken away just when him and Leia are about to sort of finally get their shit together. Um, and it is just this downer ending where they're just they're sort of staring out of the window talking about how they've got to go and get him back. Yeah. Luke's having a fake hand put on and then it just ends. Yeah. And you're just like, oh shit, oh my God. But like the party's broken up. Like yeah. Luke's in hospital, Leia's there to look after him, Han is gone, Lando is flying the Falcon. Wearing Han's clothes. Wearing Han's clothes, which, which is very weird. weird. Uh, you know they're the same size fuck it you are know. they um, Lando, um, Lando's a great addition as well yeah like fucking Lando but yeah and it's it's just it pulls together so much more it takes the same and expands on it and adds everything more mm. it adds more emotion it adds more fear it adds more adversity it adds more excitement yeah adds more drama it adds, adds more mythology it adds more lore yeah but it does it in a cohesive way. Yeah. It it doesn't do it in a way where it feels overstuffed, where it yeah. doesn't it doesn't feel like exposition the movie mm. to lead into the third one, which is um, I'm reading some books at the moment, and what I've uh, so I don't know. So I'm reading the new Philip Pullman books at yeah. the moment, which is the the sequels to well prequel and sequels to his, to dark. his dark materials. Now, one is great, and one is an exposition dump. Right. Is is a few hundred pages of exposition just dumped in. Yeah. Some stuff happens. Not a lot. But not enough to no. warrant that much. No, that's the thing. The, the, because of the nature of the story of Empire, like, despite the fact that, like you say, it is expand, everything's getting expanded on, because of the, the fact that it's like this chase movie and there's, there's this form of momentum constantly. Yeah. So it always feels like, even though you're learning more about the universe and you're learning more about the Empire and how they work, and you meet the Emperor himself for the first time, and you feel... You the realize, Emperor turns up. You, again, you realise that there, there's this even bigger bad sort of pulling all the strings in the background. Yeah. Um. And they have this conversation about turning Luke, and that becomes a thing that they're like, no, what if we turn him? What if we make him evil? Yeah. Which is like, that's more threatening in a way than it just killing him. Yeah. You can get on board with, like, the two guys trying to kill each other, but if one guy's trying to turn one of them evil, like, that's, like, more emotional. That's more, you know, but what if, that's like... making him betray his own sensibilities. Exactly. And what and him betray everything that he's so far been taught. Mm. Um, and that becomes a whole thing in this one. Obviously, they and they Obi Wan and Yoda talk to Luke about it. Don't give in to hate. Yeah, that leads to the dark side. And this whole idea of Luke being tempted and there being a possibility of him turning bad, which is like I say, is is much more emotionally resonant than just he could kill you. If yeah. they kill you, they kill you. If they turn you evil. Yeah, There's, and you turn at no your, point do they go. You could die. That's not what they're concerned about. What they're concerned about is, yeah, him and the same with and the Emperor and, the, and 
and Vader are the same. They're trying to turn him. And it's like this, there's this battle for Luke's soul. And that's what the whole story yeah. of the start of the original Star Wars trilogy is really. It's a battle for Luke Skywalker's soul. Yeah. Um, and then you get into Return of the Jedi. Well, can, can we go, can, can we, we can't, we can't miss out. We can't, we can't, we can't, we can't skip past the Battle of Hoth. Oh, fuck's sake. Talking about just the big set pieces. What the, what the, like the big set piece of A New Hope is the Death Star. Yeah. Is the Death Star scene. The, the battle. The, the, the Death, Star, Death Star trench. The big set piece of Empire is front loaded. I, I don't know because I feel like to me it's the, it's like lightsaber the, battle. The, no, no, no. no. The, but big, like the, the big, big battle. The big grand yeah. battle. Yeah. The big set piece that you're like, holy shit, this is the spectacle. Yeah. Like the drama and the action and the intrigue is, yeah, is absolutely the lightsaber battle. But there's only so much we can say about that. But when you're talking about something like this and you're seeing something, again, you're not seeing tanks. No. You're seeing giant walking, what look like monsters, looming over these tiny, tiny people, like hiding from them. And they're not trying to fight. They're just trying to get away. Yeah. Because they know that they're outmatched. Yeah. And again, it's, that's what, and again, it comes back to that, the empire being this force yeah. of just absolute unstoppable. Yeah. Just like, yeah, technological might. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is hold them off and then maybe get away. That's yeah. it. And like, and yeah, like I said, they really reinforce that right at the very beginning of um, empire by having the, you know, the battle of Hoth. Mm. And everyone just about getting away. I mean, Hoth is again is another one of those. It's a, it feels like a dangerous world. They have that really early on with the Wampa attack, yeah, which is actually something they wrote in because of Mark Hamill had an accident. He did, yeah. Mark Hamill had an ac- a car accident between films, and he had some quite bad. He had a bad injuries to his face, and he had to have plastic surgery. And so to sort of get around that and explain why Luke looks so different, and he does look really different, yeah. Like his nose and just his there whole... There is a substantial difference. Like there. his whole facial structure has changed from film to film. And so they wrote this scene in where the Wampa, which is this big like snowman monster mm. thing, attacks Luke. And, and you see him purposely go for his face. And that's in yeah. like the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah. Um, and then you get into, you know, Han goes out and saves him. And again, that's another great way of sort of building character and building their relationship. Because, yeah, my, friend, my friend's out there. I'm going to go save him. They're, talk, they're calling him Commander Skywalker and Captain Solo. You can yeah. see they've got they've got ranks. Like again, it just it's it shows you that stuff's happened in between. Yeah, but it doesn't over-explain it. It does it in a way that like moves the plot forward. Um, and then you get the Battle of Hoth. Yeah, which is incredible. And again, it shows the plucky nature of like the I say plucky lightly, but it shows the way that this guerrilla force. Yeah of the rebels is taking on the empire in yeah. a reactive way, not a proactive way. Yeah. Like they're like, well, you know, we've only got so many shots with this iron cannon. Yeah. So you're going to have to be really tight. You're going to have to be really quick with this. And it is like a desperation. They're like, look, we've got to get out of here. We can only do this much. Yeah. So this many people per transport, this many fighters per transport, yeah. this can happen at this time, this many shots, that's all we can do. But even like the the really simple idea of the fact that like the guys who are going up against the walkers, their guns can't penetrate the armour. No. But I'll tell you what we can do, get a bit of rope. 
Yeah. Get a bit of rope and tie up his legs. And it's just like, that is such a perfect analogy for the whole Rebels versus Empire thing. It's yeah. just this giant thing. It's David versus Goliath. How am I going to take it down? I'm going to be cleverer. I'm going to do something. I'm going to tie him up, but like tr- literally trip him over. That's the only way yeah. I can do it. With Vietnam. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, like, it wasn't, it wasn't the Viet Cong that defeated America, the B America. It was nature. Yeah. They were just so unprepared yeah. for everything that was happening there. They were so unprepared for the fucking flora and fauna that were around. Yeah. They had no comprehension. And it, that was what did it. It helped that the forces knew how to exploit that. Yeah. That's how it worked. You know? Yeah. And that's what demonstrates it for me. This is it goes to show the intu- the, the intuitive and uh, how clever the rebels can be when they're backed into a yeah. corner and what they would do to survive. Yeah. But just to get away, not to fight. Which yeah, is... like, and like Luke loses his gunner within the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Dak. Poor old Dak. Ah, uh, Dak. Um, yes, certainly there, wasn't he? Um, and then, yeah, I always felt bad, like Wedge, like, because Luke is clearly the, he's rogue leader at this point. He's like created rogue squadron. Um, yeah. He's rogue leader. Wedge is rogue too. Yeah. But Wedge was flying for the, for the rebellion way before Luke turned up. Yeah. So I was like, hmm, it's always a bit weird. Um, but yeah, no, I, and I love the way they talk to one another, the way Luke takes charge. And again, it sort of just shows that like how much growth there's been for him between movies. Yeah. Um, but does it in a way that is exciting and fun to watch. Yeah. And like just the model making and the sort of the, the use of matte paintings and everything that went into the making of that sequence is fucking phenomenal. It is amazing. Right. Now let's get into Jedi because we can't go on for too much longer. Yeah, I know. So Return <laughs> of the Jedi. So Return of the Jedi obviously is the final one. And it's like the one where they wrap everything up. And it is, I think it's fair to say, the weakest of the three. Uh, yeah. I think there's I, some I, great I, stuff in there. It's, for for a long, long time, I loved Jedi. Yeah. Probably as much as I did Empire. Mm. But as I grew up, I started to see some of the more of the flaws. Yeah. Um, and I think part of, one of the things that, and I've talked about it a lot already, is the... The thing that's missing from uh, Return of the Jedi for me is the feel of the weight of the Empire. Yeah. They feel passive in this. They're not actively doing anything evil. They're just like, obviously the first sort of half of the movie, well, first big chunk of the movie is dedicated to getting Han back from Jabba's palace. Yeah. Which is a whole little adventure unto itself, which is great and good fun. Great. Then it goes into, okay, we've got to attack the, um, the Empire have built a new Death Star. We've got to go take them out. Yeah. Okay. And then we go and do that, and that's and as it was like, what were they doing? Have they like? It feels like even the fact that like Endor is like a fairly peaceful, tranquil planet full of like little teddy bears, and they're not bothered by the fact the Empire are on their doorstep building a giant Death Star. Like you feel like they should be subjugated and like having a shit time of it. Yeah, but they're, they're not. It feels like they should be slaves, but they're not. They're fine. They're just hanging out and they're like just doing their own and thing. Everyone's like, no one's really bothered by the Empire in the Return of the Jedi. They just. We, we're fighting the empire's the em- an inconvenience yeah they're like we're fighting the empire why because that's what we've always done yeah we don't know any different and that's i think the thing that's sort of that i can but then sort- all of a sudden yeah there is a turning point in that film where they're like this is our final push to f- defeat the empire for the yeah and you're like oh okay okay 
And then they're like, oh, yeah, the, well, the emperor's, emperor's there as well. Okay, so he's in charge there. And okay. Yeah, and this is going to happen as well. Okay, yeah. Right. But you don't feel like, the you know, the galaxy's under the cosh and, like, and people, the real people are suffering all the way. Yeah. In the same way, you got that sense in the last two movies. Yeah. I feel like... The fear you, wasn't there. Yeah, like, the fact, like, again, like, you go back to Empire and, like, when the Empire um, turned up in Cloud City... Everyone's scared, running for their lives. Oh shit, the Empire's here. Yeah. We've, been, we've kept the Empire out for this long, but now they're here. Everyone run. And you feel that, yeah, real people are like being made to suffer because of the Empire. You don't get any of that in Return of the Jedi. No. And it's a shame. I think that's that's the thing that's missing from it. Having said that, you do get the Emperor and Luke and Vader and everything that happens in that throne room, which is fucking some of the best Star Wars stuff yeah. ever. <laughs> like yeah. the the last temptation of Luke Skywalker and the whole confrontation between the three of them. And some of the dialogue and Ian McDermott's performance as the Emperor is fucking phenomenal. And I love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's... So to explain the chronology a bit, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there is... It's months between... No, I think uh, so. It's months between A New Hope and Empire, and it's years between... I think it's years between both. Is it? I think it's meant to be a couple of, a few years between both. Okay. Because if you think about, yeah, months for... for between A New Hope and um, Empire, they would have had to run away, find a new base. Luke's become um, the commander mm. who is now in charge of Rogue Squadron. Yes, and because then, everyone died in... Uh, <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, true. But I feel like... <laughs> He's the de facto commander at that point because yeah. they're like, who's left? And they're like, Luke and... Luke's robot. No, I feel I think there are there are meant to be a few there are, years. Yeah. Um even if it's a couple of years. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, I always thought it was months between um, A New Hope and Empire and years between Empire and Jedi. I, I could be wrong. I'd be interested to... Let us know. Drop us an email. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that, like, there's canon stuff where, like, there, there are things that fill in those gaps. Yeah. Um, definitely, And definitely there is between Empire and uh, Jedi, but I'm not quite as sure about A New Hope and um, Empire. Um, but yeah, so now the idea is that they're picking up from where they left off. Although it's like three years later, mm. um, they're going back to get Han, who's been taken to Jabba the Hutt, and he's now like hanging on the wall as a bit of <laughs> ornament. Objet dark. And that whole plot line was literally written around the fact that Harrison Ford may or may not have wanted to come back for the third one. Yeah, so well, he asked to be killed off. He asked he? to be killed off. Lawrence Kasdan was of the opinion that they should have killed him off, but George didn't want to. No. And sort of George got his way, which is yeah, fair enough. Which is good. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, you get Luke coming in in this one and he's like, you can, he's very different yeah. in Return of the Jedi. Like immediately, he's like, he's kind of... He's giving up the droids. Yeah. He's willing to... He's force choking Gamorrean guards. Yeah. He's using he's Jedi all, mind tricks. He's wearing all black. He's wearing all black. Yeah. There's a significant shift in his personality and just the way he talks and he's just he's got this whole very he's like he's got this superiority about him and his yeah. confidence and it's just like it's cool though yeah it's real cool and then yeah. you realize like you're not sure to start with and then there's the moment where he ignites the green yeah and then that's like oh no this is luke this yeah. is our luke and he kicks ass i forget how much ki- ass he kicks oh god yeah yeah he, he kills so many wreck people shop in this one like it's just because like obviously because he's fighting real people they're not like doing what they do with like the um, battle droids and stuff in um, in the prequels, where they cut him in half. No, because you can't do that. You're still, yeah. you're still like wrecking shop. Yeah. yeah, I love that whole sequence where yeah, he's just the swash, 
swashbuckling hero yeah. coming in to save the day. And it's like and it's like awesome that he's like and it's Han who's like the one who's now finding things difficult and like he's he's blind to begin yeah. with. Yeah, he can't see. He's no idea what's going on. And then there's there's this young upstart who like was giving him all this about in the bar like two films ago, going, We don't need to see her and this this I'm a good pilot, I don't know. Yeah. And now here he is coming and save his ass. Yeah. It's like I love it. It's such a great character arc. Yeah, it is. And it's it's the turning of it as all as well, and the way that but also the way, again, like we're saying, it's like bucking the trends in so much. This is, you can see parts where Obi-Wan did the Jedi mind trick on the Stormtrooper and the Stormtrooper's like, oh, move along, yeah. move along. And then Luke tries that on Jabba and Jabba's like, nah, it's not going to work on me. No. But and like, so, yeah, and did... you're like, oh, okay, is Luke not that good or is Jabba really strong or where are we with Jabba, this? Yeah, Jabba's good because he's like, you, you weak-minded fool, he's using an old Jedi mind trick because he yeah. can see it being used on... He's made. Yeah, it's like so it's not that Luke can't do it. Is that Jabba, like say, is stronger, wise to it? Yeah. yeah. Um, and Jabba is another great creation of like puppetry and and all the and all the rest of the stuff that like he's eight people in there. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's another thing that I'm one of the changes that he made on the special editions, which I hate, which is that they put him into a New Hope. Yeah, which is an awful scene. But as I it, actively turn away whenever that comes on, just so I can hear it. Yeah. But not see it. But like that that's another sort of a retcon that George Lucas did after the fact. It was the crowbar to scene in with Jabba the Heart back in the first movie in A New Hope. Yeah. But originally the first time you meet Jabba is in Return of the Jedi, but he's been talked about a lot. Like he was the he was the subject of conversation during the Greedo conversation in New Hope. Mm-hmm. Han mentions him again during Empire. He's like, "Look, I've got to go. If I don't pay off Jabba the Hutt, I'm a dead man." Yeah, and they keep saying Jabba the Hutt, Jabba the Hutt. Who's Jabba the Hutt? Yeah, and we finally meet him, and it's this big slug or, or evil slug monster inspired by Harvey Weinstein. But yeah, he is this horrible creature. Yeah, um, like yeah, it's gross. But um, again, like. When you, it feels like a real place. It feels organic. Yeah. It feels like there is this weird palace that's in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it's dark and dingy, and like everywhere's dark it's, corners, and there's just weird monsters everywhere. And it's like, yeah, it feels like a gross biker bar sort yeah. of thing where shit's like, and but you I don't do, want to know what's happening there. No, and then obviously you've got the trap door in the middle of it, all where it yeah. just throws people to his monster. Oh god, yeah. And then we get into the the big monster of this movie, the Rangor. Which is the rancor? Which, geez, that thing scared the life yeah. out of me when I was a kid. Yeah. Again, another it's another really good sort of like talking about how they made it. It was like a puppet, and they had to film it like a thousand frames per second or whatever to get it to do what they needed to do, and like and just the amount of craft and shit that went into it to make it look seamless. And yeah. like it was dwarfing over Mark Hamill and picking him up and doing all that it was just like innovative and clever and like do you know what I mean just yeah. proper filmmaking um, but what for what is essentially a giant turd yeah yeah um, and then like yeah and then those other little like universe building moments where they after they kill him they have the guy crying about it his yeah. handler yeah and that was and that becomes a hot because like people love to fill in all the backstories in star wars that became a story that someone wrote i don't know whether it was a canon book or whatever but like the idea was that i was his keeper he loved him he was his pet oh yeah it's in um from a certain point of view isn't it? i think so yeah and he was gonna the idea was that the next day he was gonna try and break him out 
and they were going to run away together, him and the rancor. Okay. And then Luke turned up and killed him. <laughs> it's like, Luke, you <laughs> bastard. Oh, Luke's a monster. <laughs> um, who's the real monster, man or beast? Who's the real monster here? Twas beauty killed the beast. <laughs> um, and then Han kills Boba Fett by accident. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett. Boba Fett. Yeah. <laughs> Where? Boba Fett. Boba Fett. But um, yeah, again, like something that's always stuck with me since I was a kid. Like, I'm never bought into Boba Fett. He looks so cool, though. Okay, loads of things look cool in Star Wars. But like, that's what I love about like, watching like, it. Look, Bosk. IG88. Yeah. Fall on. I don't like All yeah. of the other bounty hunters that you see in in Empire when they're in that lineup. Yeah, but none of them are the ones <laughs> who get Han, are they? He's the one who gets Han. Yeah. He's the one that gets Han, and then he just gets binned off really quickly. And you're like, oh, he was a bit rubbish then. But that's what I love about and, it. But he's like, spawned this mad legacy. Yeah. But what think... we've got now with The Mandalorian, which neither of us have seen, no. because it's not out in this country, is this fucking badass Mandalorian but kicking like... the fuck out of anything around him, pretty much. Yeah. But then also getting a kick in and being able to get up and keep on going. Yeah. Like, I, I saw a hit. I haven't seen it yet. But with Boba Fett in this, you're like, okay. And but, people are like, oh, I can't believe that's how Boba Fett died. And you're like, don't care. But it's just like, it, that's what I love about it. It's one of those things where it's like someone's latched onto it and someone somewhere decided the word Mandalorian was what, what they called his armour. Yeah. And then from that, they've then created this whole loads of legacy about Mandalore and the warrior's way and why they wear the armour they wear and the, the lore. About, and all it was was some guy made a helmet. Yeah. Some guy made a helmet that looked a little bit different from the Stormtrooper helmets yeah. to put in this lineup for Empire Strikes Back. And now here we are, like 30 years later, and there's this whole huge amount of like content like based around just that one design. Yeah. Because it looked cool. Yeah. And he had a jetpack. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, he looked different and he's got this. He's got a jetpack and he can fire a wrist rocket and he can Yeah. He's got a gun and he's got a cool spaceship. And you're like, that's all great. But there's so much that's come from it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then obviously, yeah, that, there are other big characters that are, I think it's probably the best film in terms of the creatures and stuff. So like, you, obviously you got um, Jabba, but also Abril Akbar. Yeah. That's the first time they make a... So, God, Akbar was amazing. Yeah. And that's the first time they kind of... Because if you think about it up till this, this point, the Rebel Alliance has always pretty much just been humans. Yeah. And like droids and stuff. But then it's in this one that they start bringing in alien species because they have Akbar, they have Nine Num. Yeah. They have they give it this idea of them being a collective of different people from different backgrounds and all the rest yeah. of it. Whereas the Empire are all human. Exclusively human. Exclusively human, usually British. Yeah. <laughs> like Captain Neither and Admiral um what's his name? Admiral Ah oh, shit. Videos. No, the guy he becomes Piet. Admiral Piet. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um yeah, and they're all just these like cowering like British men because there's obviously there is the whole analogy that a lot of people have drawn, which is that it's meant to be the American War of Independence, mm, and that, yeah. And the whole Star Wars is kind of an analogy for that in a way. Yeah, you could read that into you could read any kind of war analogy into it if you wanted to, like you say with Vietnam, you talked about already. Like, yeah, there are different... like specifically this one with Vietnam. Oh yeah, particularly with the, with the um, Ewoks. Yeah, which is another whole thing. But then, like, the Ewoks is... Yeah, sorry, but I'm trodden your point there. We'll get back to that in a minute. Um, but no, yeah, the, the the plucky rebel alliance of the who all seem to be American versus the stiff upper lip 
Um, British. Grey. Grey. British. Very um, black, white and grey British bad guys. Yeah, yeah. The, the red coats are coming. The red coats are coming yeah. type thing, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's that, which is always there in the background. But then, like you say, so, like, the Ewoks and the indigenous people rising up because they know better. They know the environment. Yeah. They use the environment is perfectly exemplified in the Battle of Endor on the ground. Yeah. Um, because you get a three-way battle at the end of this movie, which is the Battle of Endor on the ground. You get the massive space battle, which is spectacular. Mm-hmm. And like up to that point, that was like blew everything else we'd seen out of the water in terms of space battles and, yeah. and battles generally. I mean, um, going back to it, it's a, the, the, it is a little bit more interesting when you think about it now. Because it's like... I don't know. We'll get into it, but yeah, carry on. I'll talk to you, talk about it in a minute. No, let's go on. So one of the interesting things, one of the things that I always struggled with, with when I was a kid was that the, the rebel fleet turn up and they think everything's hunky-dory and then they realise it's a trap. But then they all just sort of like bob around a bit <laughs> yeah. and nobody ever really goes anywhere. Everyone just sort of stays in the same spot and just does, does a few circles. And that was really bothered me as a kid. But... um but then sort of as I grew up, I'm like, well, you know, they are sort of circling the bigger vessels and they're trying to protect the fleet by sort of pushing them out. And they're like, well, we've got to get the smaller fighters and we've got to do this and we've got to do that and we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And then the Death Star starts firing. Yeah. But yeah, it was this sort of thing when I was a kid that it just didn't make sense to me. I was just like, why don't they just go and attack the Death Star? They're right fucking there. Because the deflector shields up. Well, exactly. And like... But it's when they first get there, and you're like, "Oh, the deflector shields are up!" But they flew through the shields before. Did they have shields before? Yeah, in Death Star One, they were like, "Oh, yeah, we're passing through the magnetic shields." Oh, uh, yeah, but now it's one that's been projected from a planet. So presumably, they talk yeah. about how it's. Like, I think they they do that in the briefing scene where you see the hologram. Yeah, they say like there's, there's this shield that we can't get through because it's literally it's so powerful that it's external from the thing itself. Yeah. It's not like a normal shield where you go shields up. Yeah. We're literally projecting it from the side of a fucking planet from a dedicated. Yeah. That's how strong this shield is that we literally just get disintegrated. That's how I, that's my head cannon for it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then I always thought that they basically, once they realized they couldn't get to the Death Star, they sort of turned and ended up going head on towards the Imperial fleet. Yeah. Which is hanging around in the background. Um, and they're, the Imperial fleet are there to block them. black cloaks over yeah. the ships. <laughs> yeah. Stars painted on them. <laughs> Um, it's a work experience day when they all got to paint someone's stars just on painted a big door and says e- exit here <laughs> and said, Troy I'm, I'm a cartoon now come join me <laughs> but yeah sorry um, you were saying about the three battles like, yeah so, and then obviously you had the third battle being Luke and the Emperor yeah and Vader um being like the big emotional climax and there are some amazing scenes like there's a great the first sort of beginning of that scene is luke and vader on the in the walkway mm. where luke they have an inverse of the conversation they had in the first in the last movie which is luke says come with me yeah and tries to get his dad to come to the good side yeah but what vader is, says there is interesting because mm. he doesn't say no he says, he says it's oh, too late it's a Obi-Wan once thought as you do, you don't understand the power of the dark side. Yeah. I must obey my master. And it's like this fear he has of the Emperor. Yeah. So it's not that he's not that I won't, it's that I can't, because if I do, I'll die. Yeah. That's literally what it is. And it's like and yeah, it adds a little seed of doubt in there for you. And you start looking at Vader differently. And and it sets up that 
what ends up being at the end, which is kind of the culmination of everything, which is Vader's redemption. Yeah, exactly. And that's where everything led to. Like, we're seeing, like you say, you see these three three heads all come together at that point. So you see Vader's redemption. You see Han and the gang on foot fighting the, fighting the Imperials and taking them down and winning the day because yeah. that's what they are. They're soldiers. Yeah. Like Leia is a soldier. Yeah. You know, she's not just a princess. She's a soldier. Han, soldier. Chewie, soldier. You know, R2 and 3PO are there, but they're the comic relief sidekicks. And then you get the good guys versus the bad guys. So you see the ground level on Endor. You see the one-on-one, the, the family problems. Mm. And then you actually see the great big armies fighting as well. Yeah. And that's why I think, like, people give Empire Jedi a lot of grief, but it deserves a lot more credit than it gets. Yeah, I think... Just because it's the weakest of the three doesn't mean it's bad. I completely agree. Like, yeah, I completely get it. I just wish that... I, I feel like, yeah, in the first half of it, they could they should have given you a, a more of a sort of guttural... Yeah. This is what this is what we're fighting for. Sort of remember and like all we get is like many Bothans died to bring us this information. Yeah. It means nothing. It's just what we yeah. we should have like if they'd gone down to the planet and it was like the Ewoks being like completely subjugated and like being put to work. Or originally it wasn't meant to be Ewoks. It, it was meant to Wookies. be Wookies. And if it, that had been the case and it'd been like a bunch of Chewbacca's family, a guy who we come to know and love over the last mm-hmm. two movies, and you see like people like him who are being put to work to build these you know weapons of mass destruction yeah. and help to the, like being forced to build the um, death star yeah like that would have been a great sort of reminder of this is the evil empire and this is what we're fighting for and that's all would have just tied it all together a little bit better yeah. so it's not that yeah it's not that it's bad and like I said I love the the three pronged fight at the end perfectly gets everything across but I just wish that in the first half we'd sort given it a bit more Oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah, like that's. The, I think we should have seen more of the Empire. Yeah. In the first part, I think. I think it works to see the universe expanded to that point. To see yeah. how like there is like this criminal and swashbuckling adventure sort of the side of things. Yeah, but, but it's I like, do feel, think it is slightly small. to the detriment of the wider picture. Yeah, because the thing the thing with the the swashbuckling element at the beginning and then all the rest of it with Jabba is great, but it's small mm-hmm. scale in terms of you. It's just three people going to save one person. Yeah, it's not a wider galaxy. It's not like and like they kind of he retroactively did that with the special editions where at the end of all this when they defeat the emperor and blow up the death star the fact that it is that monumental is only felt through a montage he does this montage where they go around all the different planets and a lot of which we've seen in the previous movies who are all celebrating the fall of the empire but in the original cut that didn't even do that no in the original cut it was literally just yup nup yeah or my yup nup (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's it superior and you don't really get the yeah, you don't really get the weight of what they've just done. Like, mm. you kind of... Yeah, and, and that's the the failing, I think, of Jedi a little bit. But it makes up for it in spades with everything to do with Luke yeah. and Vader. And that's kind of the way I feel about some of the newer films as well, is that despite their shortcomings, the things that they get right, they get so fucking right. Yeah. And Jedi is the perfect example of that. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, similarly, like... Obviously, this is the movie where we find out about Luke and Leia being brother and sister. Yeah. Which we haven't even talked about. 
but that was like something they had, didn't really originally plan for. Uh, no, they didn't. Originally, Luke was going to have a twin sister, but she was going to be another character. Yeah. That was introduced in the third movie. And sort of George was talked out of that or decided against it because it would have been too much to introduce a new character at this late stage. Yeah. So instead, he just twisted it around and went, oh, no, Leia's the twin sister. Yeah. Which now means that retroactively, stuff like their kiss in the Empire was like, maybe we shouldn't have had that. Yeah. Like that's that's proof of the fact that and a lot of people are criticizing the new films for this, like not having a plan to begin mm-hmm. with. And it's like they didn't have everything mapped out perfectly at the beginning of the original trilogy. No. Like that doesn't mean that it's gonna be great, like because you've planned it all years and years in advance. That's not necessarily how it works. Sometimes yeah. things change and move organically. That's just how stories work. It's yeah. like that's okay. Things evolve, things yeah. change over time. Like, that's happened with so many other things. I mean, the fact that we've got a lot more... Uh, things are a lot more sort of squashed nowadays. Yeah. A lot more controlled. They're like, uh, like things are a lot tighter around things. Mm. It doesn't mean that it's any different. I mean, look at what happened with Colin Trevorrow yeah. going into episode nine. He made a film that was totally separate that bombed so badly that they took him off the project. Yeah. Um. But also, you st- I'm starting to hear some things about what his version of Episode Nine would have been. Have you seen any of that yet? No. Yeah, it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> Might be worth adding that into our next episode. But, Possibly, yeah. But yeah, I think... Um, I think... I, I do think that... In my, in my mind, it still goes Empire and New Hope. Jedi. Yeah, me too. I'm but saying. they're all incredibly close. Yeah. And then I'm, they always shift with the rest of them. Yeah. Regularly shift around. But you can't beat the original. You can't you? beat the original. No, I completely, I'm with you. Yeah. Empire and New Hope and Jedi, even those two switch out sometimes. Yeah. Switch around because there are so many different things like the final, the emotionality that you see in jedi with a lot with the payoff between vader and luke and the emperor and the way that you see things happen the way that you see um han and leia's relationship mature in jedi the way that you see lots of things come to a head yeah rather than it takes this very small story in empire and it just blows it up yeah to see everything that this is all about yeah it could be a lot tidier but at yeah. the same time, it delivers in spades. I think that there are things that I wish they'd done as well, like things like um, Han and Lando is sort of a dropped plot line a little bit that yeah. they don't really pick up. But again, it's not the place for it. It's like it didn't no. wouldn't have it would have ground the film to a halt if they those two had had it out. No, exactly. Um, so, but at the same time, from from a purely selfish like drama point of view, like I would have because the last Han saw of him was him selling him out. Yeah. And then he turns up and goes, hey, look at you, a general. I was like, whoa, 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 are you guys buddies now? I feel like we've missed a scene. Like, yeah. And there's little things like that, but like you just get on with it because the thing with Jedi is that it's just so much fun. Yeah. And I think that's, he purposely did that because he knew that the last one had been so dark and been yeah. so sort of serious that he went, no, this one's going to be fun. And that's a dramatic shift, especially for the time. And one thing I would say about these as well is that they deal with things that were not dealt with. No. like... Like the way that, like you say, like Empire being as dark as it was and those familial themes that are in there yeah. are so drastically different from anything you would have seen elsewhere. Yeah. 
and it's the, and that's the thing. The whole story of the original trilogy is you know about the sins of the father and the and the yeah how that is inherited by the sons and and this story of redemption and people giving like that's the thing that I love about like you know the the redemption of Vader is that Luke is the only one who sees it. Like even when he has the conversation with Obi Wan in um, Return of the Jedi, he talks to him, but he says there's still good in him, and then and Obi Wan's completely dismissive. He goes. He's more machine now than man. Twisted yeah. and evil. Doesn't give a shit. Like, he completely has written him off and just mm-hmm. goes, no, he's done. There's nothing that we can, we, we can do for him. He's out of it. But this because he's his son, he refuses, because he refuses to accept that. And he goes, no, I know there is. I can yeah. feel it. You don't understand. I know. But you don't. You're like, and he was right. Yeah. And that that is the power of the story. And that's the whole point of the entire trilogy. And that all comes out in Jedi because Jedi is fucking awesome. <laughs> it is it is fucking brilliant um, but yeah I don't know what I mean it kind of feels like a natural place to start yeah so the Empire has been defeated the Empire they, has been defeated they have blown up both Death Stars Death Star 1 Death Star 2 Death Harder the well the Empire has been defeated it's not necessary to say the Emperor has been defeated well we'll see well I'd yeah, um, but there, yeah, I would say sufficiently the good guys won in this until 40 years later and people wanted to make more money. Like, at that point, you weren't going to go, mm, he might still be alive. That guy got thrown far and hard into the thing that just blew up. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where it goes from there. We'll see. But at the same time, like, yeah, definitely. He did. And then see what happens from after there. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, so next week we will talk about the sequel movies. We will talk about um, the first two movies of this new trilogy that uh, we've had so far, which is The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi. Yes. Um, that pick up the Two of the, the most controversial ones. Just putting it mildly. Um, um, and then they will be ready for the last, the final chapter, which is going to be um, The Rise of Skywalker. It's coming out in cinemas in about two weeks' time now. Mad to think that's just two weeks. Yeah. Fucking hell. It's going to be all right. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Um... <laughs> we'll get to my opinions on that next week. We have concerns. I think you have, yeah, I have concerns. You have, I have concerns. many concerns about um, lots of this stuff. Yeah. But we'll always have, what is, apparently the Mandalorian is really good. I don't know. I haven't seen it. Um, no, not seen it. Can't get it in this country, so no. I haven't seen it. But from what I've heard, everyone should go and watch it because it's fucking ridiculously good from what I've heard. <laughs> anyway. Thank you for listening, guys. Um, let us know your thoughts on Star Wars, the prequels, the sequels, wherever, wherever we're up to at this particular moment. Um, and we'll see you next week for the final part. Yeah. So follow us on socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can email us at theoncastpod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. Hmm? Aaron 41. Oh, that's not too bad. No. Still. Like, it's Star Wars, so... But I, do, I feel bad that now the longest episode we've done has been on the fucking prequels. Well, we had a lot to say.
Like the to, like the thing is like you can't deny it with the prequels. There's a lot to say because they're fucking big old piles of shit with some flashes of goodness in there. But still, Star Wars are cool, isn't it? <laughs>